John chapter 3 tonight. The book of 1 John and chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And we are going to begin reading in verse number 10. So 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 10. The Word of God says, In this the children of God are manifest, are made known, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again. For all that you've done for us, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that we can always come to it and know, Lord God, that it's going to be consistent. And know, Father God, that uh, uh, your word uh, is what's best for us. And Lord, I pray that as we come together tonight, Lord, that we would put everything out of our minds that would hinder us from hearing what you have for us. And Lord, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. This letter, as we well know by now, was written by John to Christians, particularly young Christians, uh, so that uh, they might have help in identifying those who actually possess Christ as opposed to those who only profess Christ. And uh, also kind of a, a self-examination. Man, am I showing fruits of a Christian in my own life? Contrary to the progressive style of Christianity today, John says that Christians stick out in the world because of the way that they conduct themselves, the way that they live, their disciplines, their desires, and their deeds are completely in contrast to the world. You know, and uh, as we have seen, particularly in our own nation, that the that the the uh, more uh, we have this movement towards secularism, which, by the way, movement towards secularism is a movement away from God, and the more we move towards secularism, uh, really, the more Christ Christians and the more Christianity really stands out, and the more the ways of Christ become completely foreign to the world around us. Why uh, things that uh, used to just be common sense because we did have a standard of biblical principles uh, in, the, in this country uh, and yet uh, the, the, the more secular we become, the less common sense, I guess you'd say, that our society has. Well, this has been from the beginning. This is nothing new. And uh, John is just warning of this. So notice what John says uh, in the very last part of this, in verse number 13. He says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. I don't know about you, but I have been lax in taking heed to that warning right there because sometimes I'm just puzzled at why the world hates goodness. Why does the world hate righteousness so much? And, and why does the world hate good living? 
godly living, moral living. And boy, just it seems like uh, just lately and, and recently, the world has this, uh, uh, they, they just have this attitude towards moral living that is not just a bad attitude, it's hatred toward moral living, hatred toward godly living. And of course, we were warned by John, marvel not if the world hate you. Marvel not if the world hates uh, your morality and marvel not if the world hates that you uh, stand for God and stand against sin. Why, John told us here that Christians are going to definitely stick out. Their disciplines are spiritually motivated that they may obtain spiritual blessings. And again, we live in a secular world, not a spiritual world. We live in a carnal world, not a world that cares about spiritual matters at all. The desires of Christians are spiritual in nature, and the world simply cannot understand that. Uh, why do you like coming to church? And, uh, you know, um, during this, uh, this pandemic, when Christians were uh, up in arms because they were told they couldn't go to church, and, and you, can, you can hear the world puzzled by that. Why in the world, is, why is it that important to you? Why don't you know that uh, there's a pandemic? But we understand that spiritual matters are more important than carnal matters. And if people die lost, then they die and go to an eternal hell. But if people die saved, why to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if we can't give people the gospel, the only thing we're doing is guaranteeing that people die lost. Now, the world doesn't understand that spiritual desire that we ought to have. The psalmist would write in Psalm 119, verse number 159. The psalmist would write, Consider how I love thy precepts. Now, I don't... Well... Uh, we love to hear preaching. We love the preaching of the word. It is refreshing, sometimes convicting, sometimes very hard to hear. But as Christians, we desire the precepts of God. We, we love the word of God. The world doesn't understand that, nor can the world understand that. The psalmist would go on to say, quicken me. O Lord, that means make me alive spiritually according to thy loving kindness. These desires to serve the Lord and obey his literal word are spiritual desires. And their deeds reveal a spiritual nature. There's no confusing the world with the righteous. And looking again at 1 John verse, chapter 3, verse number 10. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. And then in the next section, he says, Whosoever do, uh, or uh, he that loveth not his brother. Now, 
In this section, John says that another way that Christians are revealed is in their attitude toward others. And not, not only are we to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, but the Bible says the second commandment is like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And then it becomes even stronger when we're talking about loving the brethren. Nothing tears a church apart or ruins its reputation in the community faster than the inability of the members to get along. You know, I don't think it's by accident that this theme has come up uh, several times now. Matter of fact, Sunday school, the adult Sunday school class Sunday was about unity, unity in the church. You know, we are headed towards uh, a very rough patch as a church. I've, I've seen it. As a matter of fact, for years, I have um, uh, tried to avoid a, well, going through a building program because I've lived through the hardships brought on by a building program. And that was as a kid, not as an adult. Um, if there's one thing that can tear a church apart, it's forgetting what the church's goal is. Forgetting what the church is supposed to be. Church is to love one another. And as we enter a building program, there's going to be suggestions. There's going to be different opinions. There's going to be different likes. And there's going to be dislikes. And there's going to be, as I already said, uh, suggestions. But not everything can be implemented. So as a result, there's going to be hurt feelings. There's going, to be, uh, there's going to be that temptation to become very sore because, well, uh, my plan wasn't put into place, therefore uh, nobody likes me. It ought, not, it ought not be the purpose. We are supposed to maintain the spirit of unity in the church. By the way, love is not something that you say. Notice what John says here. Um, Neither he that loveth not his brother. In other words, that's not a child of God. Someone who doesn't love his brother is not acting like a child of God. Look at verse number 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. Now, Cain is an excellent example Because if you would have asked Cain, I'm sure even the day before he killed his brother, Cain, do you love your brother? I would bet Cain would have said, well, of course, he's my brother. I mean, of course I love my brother. But his actions would say otherwise. Understand this, love is not what you say. Love is what you do. Love is an action. Love is a verb, and people can say all they want. Well, I love my church. Well, I love those I go to church with. Well, are there actions to prove it? Do the actions prove the profession? And that's what this book is all about, First John. Uh, professing, possessing, and then performing. You profess Christ, you'll possess Christ, and then you'll perform as Christ would have you to perform. 
And he says, here's two things. Righteousness will be performed by a child of God. And within the parameters of righteousness, love toward one another. And as I said, nothing can tear a church apart faster than its members not getting along. So John says several things about brotherly love and the lack thereof. And so the first thing that I want you to notice here is that the lack of love is the manifestation of the devil's seed. The lack of love is the manifestation of the devil's seed. Once again, verse number 10, in this the children of God are manifest or made known and the children of the devil, and may I add, are made known. So here's how you to dis- distinguish between the two. Whosoever doeth righteousness or doeth not righteousness is not of God. Well, if you're not of God, then who are you of? Or who are you working for? The devil. And incidentally, the devil can use Christians. The devil can sow his seed in the heart of a Christian. It can become bitter to the point that we sow discord among the brethren. So the lack of love is the manifestation of the devil's seed. And may I just add this? Inactivity is a lack of love. Um, Apathy is a lack of love. If you're apathetic in your marriage, your spouse is convinced you don't love him or her. And yet, oftentimes, we think that apathy in the church is just being neutral. You can't be neutral. Jesus said, you either get, if you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering abroad. That's apathy. That's inactivity. And that is not love. And the lack of love is the manifestation of the devil's seed. The devil loves apathy. And the reason the devil loves apathy is because it's so easy for the Christian to justify being apathetic. Well, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not not doing anything wrong. Oh, the Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. That's apathy. And so apathy is sin. Lack of uh, activity is sin. Holding back is sin. And incidentally, it's not what you accomplish, it's how you love that determines your walk with Christ. How do I love? There was a church in Corinth. Perhaps you've heard of it. The First Baptist Church in Corinth. It abounded in accomplishments. As a matter of fact, if we didn't know the letter and we didn't know what, uh, what uh, God had to say about the church of Corinth, the average Christian would look at the church in Corinth, attend the church in Corinth, see all the talents in the church in Corinth, see that people are being saved in the church in Corinth, and the average Christian would say this is a good church. But God doesn't look at things the same way that you and I look at things. 
So God wrote a letter to the church in Corinth with his vision, not with man's vision. And because we get to glimpse at the church in Corinth through God's vision, through God's word, you and I can say the church in Corinth was not a very spiritual church. But understand this, the church in Corinth had a lot of accomplishments and had done a lot of things. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 5, we see the introduction to this church. And John says, or I'm sorry, Paul says this in this letter, 1 Corinthians 1. Matter of fact, let's just turn to 1 Corinthians because we're going to be there for a little bit. 1 Corinthians is a great model church. It's a model of how not to be church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 5. Paul says, In everything ye are enriched by him. You see why the average Christian would walk by this church and say, That's a good church. In everything ye are enriched by him. In all utterance. So the teachers were talented. In all knowledge. The preachers knew their scriptures. They were enriched. They had gifts. They had talents. They would be the envy of many other churches. As Paul says here, you lack for nothing. Goes on, verse number six. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Salvations, people being saved. Verse number seven, so that ye come behind in no gift. It's hard to find a church that doesn't lack in areas. A church that doesn't lack in areas of maybe teachers or singers or, uh, or, or preachers or volunteers or whatever. It's hard to find a church that doesn't lack somewhere. Workers. But if you go to the church in Corinth, the Bible says, Paul says here, they lacked in no area as far as talent is concerned. Hey, again, the average Christian and many of us, maybe even myself, not knowing it, would walk into this church and say, wow, it'd be nice if we had those talents, and it would be nice if we had those gifts, and it would be nice if our preacher had that knowledge, and it would just be nice. But there's more to it than just accomplishments. He says that you lack in no area. Yet it is known for its lack of love. And therefore, Paul had a lot of descriptions of this church, and not a one of them said a good church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 3, he says this concerning the church. Ye are yet carnal. What do you mean carnal? You know how many people we baptized last week, Paul? Yeah, but you're yet carnal. You're, you're all about numbers. But what about the souls that represent those numbers? 
Well, Paul, uh, don't you know that we have a ministry for this and a ministry for that? And we've got guys who are talented in utterance and, and, and preachers with knowledge. And Paul says, yeah, but you're still carnal. You know what's really scary is you can do the work of the Lord and be in the flesh. God is concerned not only with what we are doing, but why we are doing it. Our attitude, our heart. A church can be accomplished, but is it like the church in Ephesus? By the way, another great illustration there in the book of Revelation, a church that was exposing false teachers, a church that was preaching righteousness, and yet God said, I have somewhat against thee. What were they lacking? Love said, you've lost your first love. It's not what you're doing. It's that your heart's wrong. I can remember as a kid, <laughs> sometimes my parents would ask me to do something, and I'd be like, fine. And then I would get a lecture about my attitude. And I'd be like, what does it matter? It's getting done. Well, because wipe that attitude off your face is is what I would hear. Well, you know what? I got pretty good at wiping it off my face, but it was still in my heart. And you know, we can do that as Christians with our Heavenly Father. We can be serving. We can be uh, singing the hymns. We can be teaching our class. We can be preaching behind the pulpit. We can be doing all the things that we're supposed to do, but God doesn't say wipe that attitude off your face. He says, I know the attitude in your heart. In the book of Isaiah chapter 1, remember, God had a problem. They were going through all the motions, the, uh, uh, the children of Israel. And yet in Isaiah, God says, I, I, I'm tired of it. I'm weary because I can see your heart. I can see your attitude. And you're not where you're supposed to be. Not, not, uh, you don't have the attitude. And a lot of it has to do with love. So 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, For as yet ye are carnal. Why? There is among you envying, strife, divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the great love chapter, which tells us love is not words and, and love is not emotion. Love is action. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes this as a lesson to this church that wasn't loving. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling symbol, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, he says, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and I have not charity, it profiteth me, profiteth me, Nothing. 
And Paul's already identified it. There's envying, there's strife, there's divisions, there's heresy, there is, there's uh, uh, infighting in the church. And as was revealed Sunday morning, fighting over silly things like who's the best preacher and Man, this church had experienced some great ones. Silly things to fight over. Who wants to be a part of a marriage that has all the earthly wealth but no love? Proverbs 17.1 says, Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifice and strife. In other words, it's better to be in a, in a marriage where there's love, where there's mutual admiration and no money in the bank than to have all the wealth, that's the sacrifices, better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices, wealth, riches, filled cupboards, filled refrigerators, and strife. That's the church here in Corinth. Sacrifices, wealth, facilities, and strife. Accomplishments, talents, oh my goodness, gifts, and strife. Just like it would be no fun to live in a home like that. It is not profitable to be in a church like that. So there should we should strive to be a part of a church that is wealthy as it relates to the love of God. And love of one other, one another. So you may accomplish much in the church, but it's how you love that determines if you're performing the work of God or the work of the devil. James, that pastor, said this in James chapter three, and in verse number ten. He said, "Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing." And I'm sure uh, James, as a pastor, experienced this. He saw it. He had to deal with it. He said, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? Or can a fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Who's a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual or fleshly, devilish. So James says the same thing. My... Uh, you have one individual and, and he's blessing God during the service. And then after service, he's, he's backbiting, he's gossiping, he's angry with one of his brothers and, and he can't hold back. Or else 
He just has the attitude of apathy because he's mad at the world. This wisdom does not come from above, James says. It comes from beneath. Just as John declares to us, we've got, the, we've got God's seed and we've got the devil's seed. And who are we emulating? For where envying and strife is, there's confusion. And every evil work, just as was said in Sunday school the other day, well, we can complain that, that somebody's doing a ministry that maybe I could do better. But God put someone else there. I remember when I, uh, when I was a kid, and I found this out years later, but I remember one of the families that had left the church, and they had left the church in a, uh, well, they had left the church kind of angry and upset. And, and I never knew why until years later I found out that uh, during a building program, there was uh, a fight over how something should be done. And listen, this is, understand that this is no, this is not, not insinuating anything about us, but you had, you had engineers on one side and you had contractors on the other side. The engineers said it can't be done this way, and the contractors said it has to be done this way. So guess who has to break the tie? The pastor. Here's what the pastor wants to do. He just wants to say, I don't want anything to do with it. But somebody's got to make the decision. And, you know, as pastors, we're not contractors. We're not engineers. And so he sided with the contractors. And that's the way it got done. And at least one, and I think two of the engineers, I know at least one engineer family got mad and left the church over it. And I can just remember bringing that into my ministry and saying, I don't ever want to go through a building program. And here we are. <laughs> Here's the thing. If there's real love in the church, real biblical love, just because something wasn't done the way I'd like it to get done is not going to cause me to leave my family. How many times do we have disagreements in our own families, but we know, well, we're stuck together. As a matter of fact, the church is compared to a body. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had body members, I've had members of my body offend me, hurt me. As a matter of fact, um, I've been dealing with an elbow. Went out riding the other day and, and, and jerked the wrong way, and that stupid elbow, it just flared up. Last thing I'm going to do is cut it off. It's part of my body. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to keep it. And, you know, hopefully my elbow will decide to try to keep me also. Because it's a lot better off with me than without me. Here's the thing. God's placed you in a body. And we're going to hurt. 
We're going to hurt one another. A part of the body may ache. And it may be over a building program or it may be over something else. But you don't, as a member of the body, abandon the body just because. As I said, many churches have accomplished much by earthly standards, but have accomplished nothing in the love department. Like the church in Corinth, many churches show their lack of love by, uh, and, and here's, here's another area, tolerating sin is not love. And in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, we see that, man, not only was there striving and envying, but there was this false love. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians and chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse, verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So remember what John said, he that doeth not righteousness is not of God. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Goes on, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Many churches today are, are puffed up because they feel they are showing their love by tolerating sin. Here's the interesting thing. When you tolerate sin, it brings out a lack of love in your life. Have you noticed how well, let's just look at what the Word of God says. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1 says, It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So what... what what Paul is saying is, man, it's reported commonly. This is going on in the church. And in chapter 6, he would say that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he names a bunch of sins that today churches are tolerating. Not only that, but they say they are acceptant. Hey, are you an acceptant church? Well, of course, we're an acceptant church. Have you not seen our rainbow flag out on our sign? We're an acceptant church. Well, that's not real love. Because our love is first to God. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy, all thy mind. And, and, and God says, uh, here's the standards and we need to adhere to them. And as a church, we need to teach them. And as Christians, we need to practice them. 
And when the body becomes infected, we need to try to treat it. Verse number two of 1 Corinthians chapter five. So there's fornication in the church. He says it's continuing to go on. It's out in the open. Everyone knows about it. Why haven't you done anything about it? Well, because you just don't understand, Paul. We're a loving church. No, you're not. Verse number two, you're puffed up. You have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as absent in body, but present in the spirit, I've judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this, de this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying is by condoning this and doting over these individuals, you're not allowing them an opportunity to repent of this very destructive behavior. And that's not love. Just like when the word of God says that he that spares the rod hateth his son. Why? Because disobedience and, and uh, uh, doing wrong or wrongdoing, it's destructive to a child. And if we don't try to break that cycle within them, what we are saying is it's okay to be destructive. It's okay to, to destroy your life. Paul says here that discipline needs to be administered and uh, for perhaps the destruction of the flesh. In other words, it's tough love. So that the spirit can be saved. So that they can come to a point of repentance. Many churches, as I say, are puffed up because of this false love. So you never display true love by condoning destructive behavior. Proverbs 23, 13 and I've kind of alluded to it. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. It's talking about discipline. Others display their love by doing away with any doctrines or biblical mandates deemed uncomfortable. Well, we don't teach that way because people are offended by it and we we certainly don't want to be offensive you know what's really sad is that's how parents are parenting today but I, I don't want to offend my child I had one one parent tell me one time that they didn't spank their child because when they spanked their child the one time the child said, I hate you, and hurt the mom's feelings. I'll, I can tell you what would have happened in my house. 
the only thing that would be hurting would be my rear end. <laughs> and I, it's sad that we don't even know how to love. You know, scripture talks about uh, in the last days being without natural affection. And I think that is spread into the churches that don't know how to take a stand. We need to mark those churches. They've revealed themselves as churches unworthy of the distinction of church. Sometimes when you want true healing, comfort needs to become secondary. And the truth needs to become primary and love needs to be number one. Listen, the lack of love is the manifestation of the devil's seed, not the manifestation of a child of God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Just one point tonight. We have many more, but we're not going to be able to get to them.